Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok for another Game of Thrones rewatch, looking back at the themes, moments, and lessons that make this show so important to so many of us. I'm here by myself today. I always feel I have to apologize for that. Andres Cabrera, Rachel Cushing. Uh, when they come on, they uh, just absolutely bring it when it comes to breaking down Game of Thrones. We're excited to get Lon Harris on soon. Uh, Michelle Boyd coming early uh, season two to Casterly Talk to review some episodes. Uh, Rachel and Ace return as well. Thomas Rizling and more. More surprises, more guests. We have a long journey. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's dive right into uh, this episode. And uh, bef- before we do that, I absolutely want to, uh, as I uh, choke on dinner, <laughs> I-, I want to play a call. We're recording live to tape kids. That's what you do. Uh, I got a couple calls, a few calls, a lot of great calls this week. It's uh, a new call. I love new calls. And uh, we got this call that doesn't uh, directly pertain to episode eight. We're getting to episode eight, the pointy end today. Uh, but I got this call that kind of pertains to something we've already been talking about. But it always pertains. Everything pertains. So let's uh, go ahead and take this call from Addie. Hey, Ken and Casterly Talk crew. Addie again. Almost caught up on my rewatch. So much playoff baseball. So little time. Go Tampa! But um, I'm calling about the call that you had two weeks ago about um, the line from season eight that everywhere she went, she burned evil men and we cheered. And that line has struck me every single time I've gone back and rewatched any Game of Thrones episode where Danny does anything that we were all like, yeah, Khaleesi. But it has never once crossed my mind that it started with her brother. I, I have trouble processing the fact that I shouldn't cheer when her very evil brother dies. I've always associated that starting with the witch bound to Drogo's pyre. So uh, thank you for that perspective. I'm still not sure I'm not going to cheer Viserys's death, though. Uh, look, first of all, Addy, uh, always cheer for Viserys' death, all right? I have, I have no problem with that. And it was Jonathan who called in during our episode six review the Golden Crown, and and and, and just posing that, that great question. And this is what I love about doing these rewatches. I, I think Addy is like the rest of us, a, a tremendously knowledgeable Game of Thrones fan, Song of Ice and Fire fan, and, and maybe uh, you got it all figured out sometimes. And then something new kind of comes in. Someone else brings a perspective or a question. Not everything has a clear answer. I don't think everything's supposed to have a clear answer. So Daenerys Targaryen in this episode 
we're going to talk about here, makes some mistakes, uh, does some things, and are we supposed to cheer her? I think in some cases, yeah. And sometimes you're, you're supposed to maybe go, oh, that's not the way to do it. That's part of the fun. So, Addy, first of all, again, always cheer on Viserys' death. He deserved him. But it is that first step. It is that first step for Daenerys Targaryen. Slippery slopes, slippery slopes. All right, uh, let's get to uh, episode uh, eight here. Uh, and, and starting up top, so we always uh, kind of go through some uh, numbers here. Original air date, facts and figures, if you will. Uh, original air date, June 5th, 2011. Gosh, it's like it, it seems like yesterday. I don't, but I don't even know who that was watching that show. I remember him, kind of. Uh, Daniel Minahan is the director of this one as well. Un- again, underrated in terms of just Game of Thrones director. Not one of the names gets tossed around a lot is, oh, great episodes. Uh, he's back-to-back here, which is some wonderful all-time episodes. The writer of this episode, George R.R. R. Martin. Through the first four seasons, he always uh, worked a little bit more closer, closer, uh, closer with the producing of the show or key decisions, casting and whatnot, and all those kind of things. Uh, but at one point, uh, and, he, and he tells a story in Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon of uh, being on set. And I think it was pretty early on, but being on set and a problem, you know, some kind of uh, question of what should we do? What should we do with the store? What should we do with the characters? And it was Dan, Dave, and producers, and George was there. He's on set. He's got the hat and the suspenders. He's just talking with folks, and he realized in that moment, this isn't mine anymore. This isn't mine anymore. But when the deal was brokered, one of his conditions was, I get to write an episode a year. And, hey, he's got a lot of experience as a TV writer, as, uh, as well known. And, in fact, his experiences and struggles as a TV writer and uh, disillusionment with the TV industry is what caused him to write A Song of Ice and Fire and make it just a project and a story that cannot be produced, cannot be adapted into television or movies. And here he is writing scripts for the uh, adaptation with HBO. This is his first one, and it's uh, it's a home run of an episode. Uh, small note, there are two big scenes in this episode that did not directly come from him. The uh, meeting of uh, Shaga and uh, Tyrion and Bronn in the uh, uh, in the Hill Tribes, all that stuff, um, is uh, out in the mountains uh, of Vale there. Um, was actually written and, and shot for episode seven. It didn't make it. They slid it over to this one here. Not trying to take any credit away from George R. R. Martin. I just think, I don't know, I think it's uh, it's important to... Uh, to kind of uh, acknowledge that someone else wrote those scenes. Uh, the fight between Cal Drogo and um, uh, Mego is uh, a great moment. Uh, I think George probably ended up scripting it, or someone's probably scripted on set, but uh, that was actually from Jason Momoa, saying, I think you actually need to see Cal Drogo in action. He is this great warrior, and we can hear the words, we can believe the words. He's killed Viserys. Solid stuff. We're rooting for him. Not a great warrior moment necessarily. So he wanted this fight. Uh, kind of came up with the concept, the ripping out of the throat uh, of Mago. Uh, just did, you know, great stuff. Breathtaking and it's beautiful in its own. Uh, just uh, uh, harsh violence uh, that came from uh, more on Momoa's side. Again, when these actors get plugged into these stories and uh, the other creatives come in, the directors and even producers. Additional writers, that's part of the process, and here's George R. R. Martin learning that. But that I don't, I don't want any of that to take away. George R. R. Martin just absolutely uh, just killed with this episode. As we know, he wrote Blackwater, another one of the, my favorite episodes. That had uh, 
has some dramatic changes from book to show that he knew he had to make. Money, uh, a lot of the reasons for not having enough in the early episodes and the early seasons to do all the things they need to do. Cinematographer Matthew Jensen editing Martin Nicholson. That is this episode. So we start big. We start absolutely big with this episode. It, it is uh, one of the, the first times, I think, in um, Game of Thrones. I'm trying to remember. We, we, we always start pretty slow. Even the cold open of the pilot, as great as, as it is, uh, it's a slow burn, right? Uh, this is, we're following uh, the dramatic ending of episode seven, and we're picking it right up where we left off. And I absolutely love that. Not every episode starts like this. Not every episode needs to start like this. But just in terms of just watching the show, we uh, footers on the gas. We are already in the thick of it. And it just kind of adds to the urgency and the chaos of some of the scenes right away. And I think it, I think it re- works really well. A lot going on in these episodes uh, as we look for the themes and the lessons and the moments and, and uh, the actions of the characters and what they mean to the characters and the stories. Um, uh, D.B. Weiss and uh, David Benioff talk about awakenings being a, a, a key part of this episode, particularly for Sansa and Arya. Uh, reality dropping heavily for both of them. Uh, I think it was uh, Dan Weiss that talks about that, uh, you know, Arya's romanticized sword fighting up until this point. And, and, and when she starts her training, you know, it's dancing, it's water dancing. Don't forget, Ned is watching her. In the echoes of wars in the past, I love that moment. Or just they're just, you know, shattering the silence of, of of this moment for him as he watches his daughter train and chase her dreams as a sword fighter. Ned knows the reality of it back then. So again, I think it's Ned does he's a great parent who does well by his kids, but also doesn't necessarily completely train them. Uh, and nor, I, I, how would you? Here's here you got a little sword. I'll I'll, te- I'll, I'll hire a dancing master. You can learn to uh, fight. Uh, uh, with with the sword aria, but uh, let, sit, sit you down. Uh, let me sit you down and tell you the the gruesome side of sword fighting. He might have one day done. He just didn't have time. But Arya learns it here. Uh, she learns it here. Uh, just uh, the the romanticized sword fighting. Boom is out the window. She uh, witnesses Serio uh, um, making his final stand for her. More on that in a second. Sansa. Without a doubt, it's kind of already been there. I mean, with what's gone already gone on with, with Sansa, I would argue the awakening has already happened. The reality has wiped away the fantasy. But this is the final uh, big one. I, well, I think the big one happens in Baylor, where, where you know, uh, up, and, up until that moment, Sansa's got enough trust in this. And that's where this episode ends, uh, by the way. But here's uh, more Sansa. The reality of, of being a, a princess and, and Joffrey and, and all that, she might have already at this point realized that might not be what it's cracked up to be. But can I play the game? Can I speak up and speak the truth from my father? That will win the day. Honor will win the day. And then she gets locked in that scene where it's her versus Cersei, Pycelle, Baelish, and Varys. You're not going to win that. And uh, reality is dropping heavily for for both of them, so that's part of it. And I I do uh, I do like that. And Benny F. And Weiss uh, say that's in the episode. It's in the episode. Looking at some of the stuff that I find in the episode, these moments, these lessons, these themes, both overall and on individual basis for characters and moments in, in the scenes. Um, I think sacrifice and duty comes up a lot. It comes up right away here in the beginning because what we have got going on, we got Septimordain who has been you know treated poorly 
absolutely poorly by Sansa the entire series. Immediately sees what's going on. And her actions, which come at, a, at the sacrifice of her own life, uh, save Sansa in that moment. I don't believe Sansa was uh, necessarily in, in danger of dying there. They know she's a valuable asset, but you don't know. And Septa Mordain doesn't know that. She can't bank on that. And she sacrifices her life for Sansa. Uh, sacrifice and duty. And on the, the flip side, we go right into... Um, we go right into uh, Sirio Farrell, sacrificing himself, uh, a sense of duty to Arya all, already. Beyond just, hey, I was hired, I'm the first sort of Bravos, and now I've uh, retired and I'm teaching uh, kids piano lessons and sword lessons. Beyond that, he quickly d- develops a connection and affinity uh, and, and a care for Arya, and, and he is willing to die knows he's going to die, but he wants to impart the, the lessons of not today and death to her. Uh, later, A little bit later, uh, we are uh, we're with Jon Snow and Jor Mormont. And Mormont, just uh, as, he, as he breaks the news to Jon that Rob is marching south and uh, Ned's in a dungeon and everything's falling apart, Jon's ready to go. He's been called a bastard. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he and uh, Alistair Thorne are about to have a big confrontation. A lot going on, right? A lot going on. And John gets up and uh, Jor Mormont, uh, Lord Commander Mormont, just says pretty plainly, your duty lies here. And we hear that. We know that. We know the vows from uh, the, the Night's Watch. Uh, we know what they mean. But the uh, duty, uh, what you're supposed to do, not what you want to do, but what you're supposed to do, uh, I, I see it prominently in Septim Ordain, Siri Farrell, and John not quite there yet, but he's going to get there. Uh, Rob Stark calling the banners. It's playing on their duty to support uh, his own duty, what he feels is his uh, duty now to to go south, um, to to rescue his father, to save his father, to not necessarily take the throne. Uh, I don't think he has designs on that. He's not the king of the north yet, but he he needs to go. Needs to go do the right thing. It's a sense of duty for Rob as well. Let us start going into uh, some of the other things because there's this big, big lesson. I don't even know if I can call it a theme. I think it's a theme, but it, uh, you know, I would also say maybe even more of a lesson. True sight. True sight. We got a couple calls here about Serial Pharrell. First, we're going to go to our pal Eric Monroe and then Mark Kamier from the Feeding the Monster podcast. He's going to uh, check back in here. Uh, and Mark, it's okay. Uh, I know you you, you feel uh, you haven't called in a while and you feel bad about that. There's no need, Mark. There's no need. You got a great call today. Both these calls touch upon Serial Pharrell and uh, got to play that. Serial is just a, just a great character. Just a great character. So we're going to hear from Eric right now. Hey, can I casually talk? So the pointy end, I want to talk about Serial Pharrell and his sacrifice. I absolutely loved his character. I love how he protects Arya. I like, I like love that he picks up on the fact that something's wrong when Samaritan Trent comes to retrieve her. And if you think about it, he really, in a sense, you could say, was a big part of saving the realm by keeping Arya alive, given what Arya does in season eight. He wasn't the only one, of course. More people during Arya's journey, of course, do that as well. But he definitely was the first. I love seeing him in action. And I I really believed, to be honest, that he was alive and he would show back up in the House of Black and White. But unfortunately, that didn't happen, but I love seeing him in action. I wish he would have had a real sword and not a wooden sword, but just even with the wooden sword, he was kicking ass. Love to have seen him take down Marin Trent. 
So, Sarah Farrell, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Sarah Farrell. Yeah, I agree with you, Eric. And watching that, watching that scene, particularly, I always love taking myself back to June 5th, 2011, watching that for the first time, and just kind of screaming at the TV, pick up one of the swords, man. Stand your ground, sacrifice, do your duty, all that stuff. Love it. Hey, later on, I learned as a Stannis fan, duty's important. I get it. Uh, pick up a sword. You knock some swords out of the hands of the Lannister soldiers. Pick it up. But it's the first sword of Bravos. Uh, I, I, you know, he's do, he's, I can't fault him. I don't even think it's pride. I do not think it's pride. I think maybe he knows it doesn't matter. I pick up a sword or not, I'm probably dead here. I just got to get the girl out. Uh, she's got to go. And the lessons, uh, you know, that we taught her, they, hopefully they, hopefully they stick. Um, but uh, as in terms of giving Serial credit for saving the realm, uh, being a part of that um, is what Eric's saying there. I, I actually agree with that. I love that kind of stuff. You, you can go to Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and these great big epic stories. It's the old debate. Frodo, yeah, Frodo's a hero, but without Samwise Gamgee, it doesn't happen, right? Uh, Jon Snow, hero, without Samwell Tarly, without Pip and Gren, and we'll, we'll see even the next episode about their honor saving Jon Snow. Sansa Stark going back, all the all jumping ahead to season six, Battle of the Bastards. Jon Snow, that moment of him before the uh, Bolton army, it's it's epic. It's great. It also represents so many failures for Jon Snow in that moment. And Jon overall, just a spectacular character I love. But in that moment, a lot of his weaknesses come to the forefront and he's in a position where he's dead. There's no way around it. He's dead. His men go save him and his sister has to save the day at the end of the day. So every hero, every story has those heroes, but every story needs those people on the side and maybe they don't get full credit. Syria Pharrell doesn't save Arya. She captured. I don't think she's killed. That's not the same as Sansa, not the end game here. They need her alive. Um, her trajectory it, it goes a different direction. Does she end up killing the Night King? Does she end up doing that because she doesn't go to, you know, House of Black and White and learn all those skills that she uh, uses and, and uh, employs uh, when she kills the Night King? I will never know, but I'm willing to give Syria Pharrell a lot of credit. Uh, we're going to continue that. Uh, we've got um, uh, Arya's sight, as uh, Mark says here, uh, and talking about true sight. It's something that's uh, very key to this episode. Hey, Ken, uh, I know I've been dropping the ball lately, haven't been calling in for this rewatch, but fret not, uh, I am rewatching, uh, but I apologize. And uh, this one, I can't not talk about the pointy end because there's a lot to unpack. One, this is uh, a season one episode written by George himself, and it makes sense because this episode is full of a lot of setups, whether we're talking about where uh, Rob Stark is going to go in his journey. This is a setup for that. Varys's motivations about serving the realm. But honestly, what stands out to me is Sirio Farrell. When he's training with Arya, he gives her a line that she was not seeing, not true sight, which is something interesting that she goes back to and learns the very hard way in Bravos to become a faceless man. When she loses her eyesight, she has to learn to see without her eyes. Love to hear more about this. Uh, love to hear more about it indeed. Uh, Mark, great call. And again, Mark, you know, don't don't worry about it. You call when you're when you're gonna call. Uh, and maybe we'll get Mark on the show here too. So 
Uh, I love this. I absolutely love this. Sir Pharrell says, watching is not seeing, dead girl. The scene, the true scene, that is the heart of swordplay. It's all right. We're talking about sword fighting. Arya's got to learn those lessons. Mark's very right. She really, really learns it. This is, it must be just in the, in the water over in Bravos, even though the, the house of uh, black and white, um, you know, the faceless men, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, they've got a history over there in Bravos, obviously. Um, but I'd, I'd say the, the God of death goes beyond those borders is, is my point there. So we're talking about sword fighting, but clearly we're not. Arya's got to learn the lesson a little bit later on, but it's seeing the world for, for what it is. I think of the hound telling Arya later on. Was it season three there, season four? How, how many Starks they got up ahead until you see how the world really is? That's a harsh view. The hound grows from there, becomes a better person from that uh, scene in that se- uh, season. Uh, but it's about true sight. What is in front of you? Not what you think you see, but it's what you know. It's what you feel. Uh, and that's what Syria is trying to impart. I love to... I love, as, as well, I should say, um, he says this, watching is not seen, dead girl. The scene, the true scene is, is that is the heart of swordplay. Arya is like, okay, yeah, I yeah, got it. Arya immediately fails. Immediately fails this lesson. Marin Trant walks in, the Lannister uh, men. Arya Stark, we're here to take you to see your, see your pops. She goes, oh, okay. She starts stepping forward. Sarah Farrell has to stop her. She immediately fails. She's not seeing what is actually in front of her. It's something she's going to learn again and again and again. I think it comes up and all the way up to the uh, House of Black and White and the Faceless Men. Um, and again, I think I think that failure here, it, the, the romanticism of sword fighting, immediately washed away. Uh, she will uh, very quickly after this get her first kill as she escapes. With the little fat boy as she's uh, trying to get out of here and grabs needle, um, it's uh, she 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 fails. But those lessons, uh, it's important. The fail, failure's uh, the greatest teacher. Yoda says, right? Uh, each failure, I think, uh, uh, takes her deeper into the lesson, uh, and then it, she can take that lesson with her on her journey. So I think um, I think Mark's too. I think he's right about uh, George R. R. Martin setting all, up a lot of stuff beyond just simple. Beyond foreshadowing in that classic Game of Thrones sense, but I love Mark. Mark kind of uh, really said a great point there. It's it, it's it's George saying here the journeys going forward are going to a lot of them start here, or a lot of them are going to need things that they pick up here, or there's things that mean more here. It's all there. So uh, yeah, um, and and I love it. I love it. I, this lesson on on what what do you truly see. Uh, is is important in this world? What characters out there truly see what's in front of them? Tywin, Tywin Lannister, as we'll see in season two, sees Arya as a girl when everyone else sees her as a boy. Jag and Hagar, Gendry, uh, weren't fooled as much. Gendry, eh, a little bit. Jag and Hagar, absolutely not. A man knows. Uh, uh, Tywin knows. Uh, other characters, the Mountain included, just don't see it. Uh, Sam to me, Sam Samuel Tarley, he has true sight and smell because when the whites are brought back to the wall, he's the one. They don't smell. This looks dead, but truly, I'm seeing more than that. And 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 his uh, true sight fueled by knowledge. Uh, in a great moment later in the episode two, where uh, he does cite that. Yeah, I read it in a book, a very old book, talking about the White Walkers uh, and and 
how their night's watchman was, he had to have been touched by a white walker for this to happen, for the eyes to be blue. The truth is slowly starting to dawn on a lot of these people in night's watch. If they didn't, if they didn't believe before, you got some reason to believe now. And uh, uh, I love that John in this moment doesn't make fun of Sam Tarley for saying it's in a book. It becomes a joke. It's a fun joke. I don't mind that runner at all, but John just nods, gives him that respect, which which will he'll do as well uh, later on when he sends him down to the Citadel. And some of the knowledge that Sam learns from the books then affects John's life later on. One of the other, uh, again, theme, yes, motif, lesson, it's present, mercy. The word mercy is thrown around a couple times here, at the beginning and, and towards the end of the episode. And then we have some very, very big things with Daenerys Targaryen, a lot of them revolving around mercy. Early on in what is a great scene, uh, we got Ned in the black cell, uh, Vera showing up again, um, and this is the great uh, serves the realm speech. Uh, Mark talked about it too. George R. Martin setting that up, and we talked about it on previous episodes, but I think it bears repeating. This is a, this is a thesis statement for Varys. Uh, some, you know, who do you serve, Lord Varys? The realm. Someone must. I also like that he's talking about it's the innocents that suffer. But the big moment here of, of, of what madness caused you to confront Cersei with the truth. What, what are you thinking? Ned answers, the madness of mercy. Varys responds back that uh, essentially saying, uh, you know, Robert, uh, the wine slowed him. The boar gutted him. But you killed the king. Your mercy killed the king. And, I, and I, I'm trying to really ruminate on that a bit and, and be like, what is Varys talking about in this moment? Love to have some of you check in with this. Give me a call. We can address it on next week's episode because it's still very, very uh, valuable for next week's conversation. But uh, the idea of the idea of, of Ned being, you know, the way he even says the madness of mercy, he's cursing mercy. He, he thinks it mercy for the children. He doesn't want to just, uh, have them killed. He doesn't want to do what was done to the Targaryen children, which again speaks to Ned's honor. Um, but in that mercy being, uh, you know, nice in a way, I'm, it's a it's simple term to say. I, I think, uh, I think Varys's point to me thinking aloud here more than anything is this uh, idea of like, you, you you know, you were just too nice. You got to serve the realm. You were too nice to Robert. You didn't tell Robert the truth. You didn't deliver the truth. You went to Cersei with it because you wanted to give her a chance. You wanted to give her a chance to get out of here with the children, be safe. And what she does, she gets, she, she kills Robert, essentially. Again, we talked about Cersei's planning. It involves a lot of, uh, you know, things happening, bad luck. Maybe she at times isn't as a great planner she wants to be or will be later on. I think she does some pretty good planning in season six. Um, but it's that mercy that led to Robert's to death. And now here we are. And I, and I said last week, Robert, believe it, for all of his mistakes, we do love Robert Baratheon as a character overall here. Tragic figure, tragic character. But for all of his mistakes and his big blustery bearded self, he's kind of holding it all together. When he dies, chaos begins to reign, the chaos that Baelish loves. And to me, again, open-ended, open to some additional thoughts on it from anyone out there listening. I think that's what Varys is talking about 
uh, you, you were soft in a way. And, and, and being soft isn't a, a bad thing, I don't think. Um, out here in the real world and over in Westeros too, though hard to think the Westeros isn't a real world world sometimes. That's that's what I think um, Varys is talking about. Your mercy killed the king. And it comes up again. Let's jump to the end of the episode. Sansa uh, is, is, is uh, to me, asking for mercy. And she says, mercy. Um, uh, excuse me. She asks for mercy and, and, and I think uh, believes in it. She trusts in it. And then Rob Stark. That's the other one I forgot. Sorry. Checking my notes. Rob with the the spy, with the Lannister spy, literally says, my father understands mercy. Now, I don't think this is a direct, necessary one-to-one comparison that uh, this mercy is leads to what r- kills Rob. I think you could trace some lines to it, but Rob needs the bridge. Rob's about to play a trick on Tywin. Tywin's kind of in the process of buying it. We see in the great scene later on, uh, the wolf's marching south. Let's go get him, 20,000 men. It's all part of something going on. I don't want to necessarily say this is a giant mistake or anything, but but it's so interesting to me that that Rob, who's not near his father and hasn't been for a bit, understands his father, understand what makes him work, and is much like him too. And Ned's mercy kills the king, perhaps gets himself killed. Well, that's a little bit of his stubborn honor. Thing again, things I don't fault Ned for, but they definitely cause problems for him. And here's Rob doing the same thing. Uh, the great John, uh, Lord Umber, wants to just absolutely cut this spy down. Everyone feels that's what it is. Even Roger Cassell's like, hey, uh, King, uh, King's kid, uh, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to kill him. We'll kill him for you. Don't worry about it. And uh, Rob says, mercy. Uh, mercy needed here. My father understands mercy. Does your father understand mercy? Does he? Let's ask Ferris about it. Anyways, that was there as well. I want to get to uh, the other big thing here. Um Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, Danny. I adore Danny as a character. Uh, I've always been frustrated at times with Danny. And it's always weird to say because I've always said, I've said it here in Castle Talk, said it here on Daily Thrones, but just in case someone's sweeping in here kind of new, uh, my frustrations with Danny are because I just think this, I'm so behind her. I'm so rooting for her. and she makes some mistakes along the way up at the top of the show we talk take that call from Addie. we're talking about cheering on danny as she kills vicious men i think that's okay and i think danny does some things that need to be done it's the follow-up it's the choice after it's the 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 the, the maybe feeling she has more power there's a couple moments here well we get the big we get that we get uh, the introduction of miri Mazdul comes out of this um uh, raping and pillaging of this uh, village of lamb worshippers. Uh, it is pretty brutal from what we're seeing and from Dan- from Danny's point of view. And she's learning, uh, kind of talk about realities. I, I think, again, I don't think Danny was living in a fantasy, fantasy world before this episode. We meet Danny. She's already not in a fantasy. So I don't think she's have, having anything shattered. But she is... Definitely having some awakenings on, on what's going on and some awakenings on on what she's part of. She's already seen some of it. I, there's that shot uh, in episode two or three when they're still marching and Viserys is still alive and, and one of the, the slaves is whipped by the Dothraki. Danny sees that. 
And she's essentially, uh, you know, been a slave to her brother for a long time. Been a slave to this this plan, maybe not as as an actual uh, slave in that brutal life that's in front of her there. But that's why it becomes part of her. She, the breaker of chains. It starts forming here early on. So I don't think Danny's so naive. I think she's growing, but it's not this. Uh, it's not the Sansa naivete, right? Uh, but this episode, some of the awakenings, and and here he is. You know, she's rooting. She's falling in love with Cal Drogo. She's got his uh, child uh, in, uh, growing inside her. She's all all on board for the Dothraki way of life. I am the Khaleesi here, and she's growing into it. And she sees what that might actually mean. It is a little bit of a shattering of that kind of uh, romanticized version of what she was doing or what she could be a part of. So I love this stuff. It's tough to watch. I was watching it with uh, my girlfriend uh, Grace uh, the other night, and um. She she too, she she loves Daenerys Targaryen and just kind of clenches up, just like oh, she gets mad. She gets mad at Miri's Maz Duel. She gets mad at Daenerys. She gets mad at Khal Drogo, and that's that's what I love about this scene. And it sets up again. Mark Kamar calling in, great call, Mark, setting up stuff going forward. Not just plot stuff, but just character stuff, lessons, the themes that will, that will reappear in these characters' lives and journeys, and the mistakes and more mistakes they make, and and the cost. There's big costs. Going on right now that Daenerys won't feel um, for a bit, and some she'll feel right away. So this um, this all comes out of of Danny's mercy, Danny's idea of, of what mercy is. And again, I don't think she's wrong. I will say, I I, I don't think she's wrong. She's watching the, these women being raped in front of her, and she has the power to stop it. I would want her to do that time and time again. I would want her to do that time and time again. I don't think that's wrong. I think, um, but what she she doesn't truly see, maybe goes back to, it's, it's mercy, but it's all, also, also go back to this idea of true sight to me. Um, not seeing the big picture. Mary Mazdul right in front of her, right in front of her, Mary Mazdul is hatching this plan to get revenge on Khal Drogo. We'll talk about that in some of the other episodes forthcoming here, but Danny can't see it. She can't see it yet. She can't see that stuff. She does tell, uh, uh, Zoro, uh, Zohan Doxus in season two. Ah, you've taught me a valuable lesson. I now see, I see it. Paraphrasing a little bit there. But that's going ahead to season two. Going to this moment. Again, I just want to be clear because I'm saying, I, I, I think Danny makes some mistakes here. But they're much like Ned Stark. They're not mistakes that I go, how dare you? They're mistakes that I, I, I think if I was in the same position, I'd probably make them too. That's what's so wonderful. Uh, it, it, there's complicated layers to ruling, and, and and there's this brutal world that she's about to rule in or to try to rule. Um, I see this. So Danny's mercy kills Drogo, just like Ned's mercy kills the king. Danny does to me, for my money, get Khal Drogo killed. She trusts Miriam Asdul. She trusts Miriam Asdul because Danny, I, Danny thinks to herself, showed her mercy. And this is the way I want to see it. To me, it is the first big example of Danny trying to break a wheel. Not the wheel, but a wheel. We go straight to the scene. Uh, you know, we're, we're at the scene with Mago. Um, who great story did not speak English? Uh, I think it was a uh, I think Russian it was. So Jason Momoa had to teach this guy who's it was Momoa's stunt double by the way, 
uh, how to teach him how to say the, the words in Dothraki, but that's all, all, all how they communicate. Fascinating stuff. Again, I do recommend uh, James, James, Hibbert, uh, James Hibbert's book, Fire Cannot Kill Dragon. Just a quick, fun read. I mean, sometimes you say quick, fun read. It's like it's a simple book. It's not. It's, it's a lot in there. Great quotes, um, some tough questions, some some real raw, honest answers from some of the creators and directors and actors. A lot of fun, but that's one of the insights into that scene that I hadn't really been clued into before, at least for myself. Um, we'll talk about this just as a scene that I do just enjoy. I do just enjoy this scene and the and just the gruesome violence to it. But focusing here on Danny. Again, I think she's trying to break a wheel. This is the first time. I see what the problem is. She's going to learn the harsh, harsh lesson on it. Miriam Azdul says some stuff later on, not in this episode, but the other, you know, she says some real harsh, harsh truths that Danny can't run away from, but Danny, and Danny still has to pay Miriam Azdul back for it. But it's, uh, it's some hard truths. Um, it's the first time where I think Danny's like, I'm in a position to, to do something, to break some traditions and make my new world. And she tells Mago straight up, you don't like it? Hit the road, Jack. Uh, and I love the uh, that Danny quote, the dragon feeds on horse and lamb alike. Ooh, and Cal Drogo likes that too. Like, look how fierce she is. So Danny's... Uh, Danny makes some big mistakes here. I love this scene. It's it means so much more now. We'll we'll, we'll transition into that part of the show where we love discuss discussing some foreshadowing and, and things that mean a little bit more now, both big and small. This this scene means everything. It means so much. We get this big Cal Drogo moment, like oh crap, this guy's ripping tongues out of necks. Kills him with no sword, no knives, drops him, does this great moment. I agree with Jason Momoa. We needed to see Drogo. It's why it's so memorable. And I don't necessarily think it's a super, 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 super intentional comment on strength. It's a pretty, you know, raw physical strength. There's value with that, and especially in this world. Uh, But it's not lost on me that in the most strong scene we get from Drogo, just physically strong, dominatingly strong scene from Drogo. I mean, Viserys would say that episode six was pretty dominating, I guess, from Drogo too, but we see him in action, and that's what kills him. He dies. He dies. Would that cut have actually killed him? I don't know. I keep looking at it now going, eh, you know, it might have been all right. Might have been all right. Part of Danny's mis- Danny mistake. I don't think Miriam Azdul is wrong. I think she's taking some truth and playing playing it to her advantage, right? Uh, different conversations, I guess, there. Go to WebMD in Westeros and see would that have killed him. But I, it's not lost to me. This cool, just absolutely cool moment, gruesome moment. It's a it's a moment of a victory for Cal Drogo and like, oh yeah, that's why you've never cut your hair. Well, that's what gets him. All of it. It's a it's wonderfully tough to watch and means so much more. Uh, other things that kind of mean more to me now and us there, Arya's first kill. We mentioned a uh, little fat boy coming down there. Uh, the Arya's words. All right. I got nothing against the guy. Not shaming the guy. Arya gets that kill. And it's weird. like, uh, Gra- again, Grace and I were watching it. And it happens. And we both like kind of cheered. Grace gave like a finger snap cheer. Like, yeah, I got the kill. And I'm like, well, that's kind of brutal. You know, stabs him. 
Little stabs right in the right in the right in the center there. Not too unlike her uh, kill on the Night King. So there you go. Arya, the back of her baseball card. First kill right here. Rookie kill. There you go. Uh, Sansa being forced to write that letter. What a tough spot for Sansa to be in. How are you going to go? You're going up against the best of the best uh, of the best in terms of manipulation. Cersei um, playing it, just Lena Headey and, and those scenes just uh, just, uh, just amazing. Oh, little dove, I'm so disappointed. Uh, she's up against it there. But that letter, you know, has some effects now. Rob gets it. Maester Lewin, uh, you know, sees through it, has some true sight in that moment. But this comes back. Uh, Baelish is there watching. Baelish is part of this scene, part of uh, making Sansa write this, and so he brings this back into the into play, and will uh, it will it will be uh, have something to do with his undoing? So this definitely means a little bit more. Liza Aaron's in action uh, means more, especially if you're trying to figure that out as it, it, you know without the books as any guide. Uh, if you're watching uh, back in season one, she's already a little wonky, right? Already a little out there. She makes this decision, and it's one of inaction. Talk about duty. A lot of characters in this episode have uh, a sense of a great sense of duty. Eliza does not in terms of duty to her sister. She does to her son and her, her family. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me. Eliza's inaction is because she's already taken action. She's killed John Aaron. So uh, telling now. Uh, seeing a white in action is something that means more now. It's the first real example of we see how uh, the, they can be destroyed, but how hard that is. John learns a lesson. Uh, just interesting to watch now, knowing what's coming, knowing that by, you know, episode five, episode, season five with Hard Home, and we're really going to see all this, this stuff in action. But as it starts to grow, we're here in season one still on this review. From where we open up with the pilot, we see the White Walkers, and we see some of the Wildlings' as, uh, whites back then. To actually see uh, this uh, Night's Watch Ranger as a white, uh, it starts to mean more uh, in the story going forward. We talked a lot about Miriam Azdur. Um, she, um, yeah, Miriam Azdur, I, I would say, uh, she absolutely, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what she means, but to have her just show up here, uh, and knowing what she's doing, knowing know what she's cooking up, uh, I think that means more to me. Bran at the Hearts Tree with Osha kind of means more, uh, where she's giving him the the hear you boy, the see you speech. Knowing that pretty good, pretty good chance that uh, I'd say pretty good chance that the Three Eyed Raven is uh, is is watching him, <laughs> freaking freaking away. Uh, Brendan Rivers just kind of staring at him, but that means a lot more. Uh, and just, uh, I love her quote. One of my favorite quotes in the show. She's got a couple of them. The one with Maester Lewin of, uh, they ain't sleeping no more. Uh, but when she, you know, I, I, I tried telling your brother, he's marching the wrong way. I love that little line, uh, there. Um, uh, we've got that, um, Samuel Tarley again, talking, this is the scene where he is talking about reading the books and what happens when they wake up and they all look at the wall and Sam says, I hope the wall is high enough. Flash forward to end of season seven makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Sir Barristan's, uh, we, we talked about duty uh, and honor up top uh, and sense of duty. Sir Barristan's duty completely, not only a question, his duty removed. This is a great scene. This is a just a, a quotable scene. It, we lo- Everyone loves him quitting like a boss. Um, and that means more from what we'll get at the beginning of season three. Uh, favorite moments and lines for me, uh, Varys. Varys says, why is it that no one trusts the eunuch is one line I little like. And it's like, Varys, you know, you know why they don't trust you. Uh, and I love to, uh, Ned said that he says this to Jamie too. This is something that comes up with Ned a lot with his sense of honor, right? 
he says it to Jamie Lannister when he, when they're talking about uh, his um, you know his his father father and brother being killed in in in, um, in the castle there by the throne um, up there in the Red Keep there that uh, um, you know Jamie didn't do anything. Jamie's like, well, yeah, of course not. Five hundred men didn't do anything, but he says. Says that says that thing to Varys again. And Varys says, "When you look at me, do you see a hero?" As as uh, you know, Varys stood by as, as Ned was uh, backstabbed by Baelish, almost quite literally. Uh, I love that line. When you look at me, do you see a hero? Shaga Shaga likes axes, and Shaga shows up. The great Mark Lewis Jones, of course, uh, plays uh, Captain Moden Kennedy in the Last Jedi. Uh, loved, I already loved Shaga, and didn't immediately pick up uh, when I watched Last Jedi the first time that that was the same guy. Then now I do, and it's just uh, love that uh, great stuff there going on. Great scene. It's supposed to be in Episode Seven, as we said. Just shows a lot about uh, Tyrion's skills. Um, uh, we get that. Uh, I love Alistair Thorne, uh, and, and we got a call coming up about uh, Alistair Thorne. Uh, uh, part of the call here. Uh, Owen Teal, so great as Alistair Thorne. I love that he says, blood will always tell, and he says it to John. Great quote. I get the meaning on the surface from Alistair Thorne, and it's kind of wrong, right? He, 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 Ned's, a, Ned's a traitor, you're a traitor. But... Saying it to Jon Snow, saying blood will always tell to Jon Snow. It's something that uh, foreshadowing there, right? Um, talked about um, the fight scenes. And again, that Jason Momoa asked this. It's a non-book scene in the book. Uh, I'm trying to recall. I think he just gets a cut in a fight, right? And just kind of has it, comes back. You don't really see it. You don't really feel it. Uh, great moment. And, and Momoa's right. This, this, I think it was needed. I think it would have been lost. Drogo would have been, uh, I think a love character too, but this just, it just elevated it. And then adds the pain of, like I said, this is the strong moment that, uh, essentially takes him from Danny and us as, as fans. Uh, big, uh, favorite scenes here. I mean, I can't, um, I can't, uh, well, a little small moment. I love, I love the Baelish and Varys cold war that's always going on. When Varys is talking uh, in that scene with Sansaret in the letter, when Varys is really putting on the on the uh, well, you know, she is innocent. Wouldn't we give her a chance? And there's just Baelish has this look over Varys, just like what are you, what are you after? What are you at? I love that stuff. Um, uh, there or is it? Yeah, maybe it's later in the throne room too. There's a lot of looks. Tywin and Tyrion, anytime they're together. Pure gold, and this is the first time we really get it. Uh, this, of course, means a lot more if you're a Tywin fan and you didn't want to see him dead. Um, but I just love it, and I love the little thing of Tyrion learning everything. Wow, how Ned Ned's in jail. Ned Ned's in a black cell. What does Robert think about that? How did Cersei convince Robert's dead? Oh boy! And it just starts to dawn on Tyrion as he emerges from the veil and the situation up there. We're we're in the great game now. It is all different now, and I I I view. Season one, episodes one through six is like a, not a different version of Game of Thrones, but I don't know if you out there watching and listening kind of agree with me that just like, that is, it's like a quaint time. But here we are at the end of season six and then now seven, eight, and we're picking up the, the show. It's just a different thing now. And I love, I love it. I just, I, I watch episodes one through six with just like a, ah, oh, the simpler times. Yes. Even with some of the violence, uh, Tyrion. To me, is the embodiment of that in this moment of just like, cool, where's all where's all the things that we met in the pilot? Where's all the things that we learned in the pilot? Oh, it's all wiped away. Oh, boy. And now I'm sitting in front of my father. Uh, that's good stuff. Love the uh, uh, the Barristan, uh, Sir Barristan Selmy quitting like a boss scene, uh, though he was getting fired. And I list him as one of my episode stars, Ian uh, McElhenney, um, 
who really was bummed. I was reading again in that book, Fire Cannot Kill Dragon, really bummed his character was killed because he's like, he's alive in the books. But he got it, and he said, and he, he kind of went out uh, on a shield there and like that. Um, he's one of the stars of the episode for me. Clive Mantle as a great, John, great John Umber. Your meat is bloody tough. And then side note, the actor, uh, Clive Mantle, been around a lot of UK stuff uh, all over. A lot of you watching probably know his work. Uh, and like, I didn't know. I was looking at 2014. He got in like a fight, like a street fight, tried to break up a fight or something like that. Got his ear bitten off. So here he is in this scene in 2011 when it airs, getting his finger bitten off by ghosts. It's, it's, it's an odd, I don't know. I don't know if that means anything, but it's weird. Uh, ghost to me is an episode star. Uh, Maya, excuse me, uh, Mia Sotoru uh, is uh, Miriam Asdul. She, Mazdur, she is a British uh, actor, uh, singer, and like vocal coach. Uh, did vocal coaching on Mamma Mia in 2008. I think she's so good at, as, at, as Miriam Asdur because you, you, you fall for it. And what she stuff she says later on is not wrong. She's not wrong about the Dothraki to me. And she brings such just uh, layers. She incites empathy. And she she gets back at Cal she takes out Kyle Drogo. She really does to me. I give her I give her the kill. Maybe you know, maybe you want to fight me on that, but I give her the kill. And she does it with just this quiet stealthiness. It's interesting. She's a fascinating character in the books. Uh, she uh, speaks of Archmaester Marwyn, um, which Jorah has a reaction to in the books. Good stuff in the books there. Check that out there. We got this call here. Uh, first time caller from Bubba. I thought this was a great little question, and we're going to play it here. Hi, Ken and Casterly Talk. Bubba here. The pointy end is the last time we're going to see Alistair Thorne until season four, episode one. Benjen said Aww. goodbye in season one, episode three. We won't see him again until season six, episode six. Gendry disappears for four seasons. The Brotherhood and Rick on three. Jack and Agar take a couple of seasons off. King Brand took a season off. Ken, which characters were helped by time off? And which characters do you think were hurt by taking their time away from Game of Thrones? Bubba, this is one of my favorite questions I've ever received here. And this might be one of those questions that I come back to and answer again, answer differently. I did think about this one. I mean, you're right. Rickon, uh, Osha goes for a bit. The Brotherhood, you're right about the Brotherhood. I know the Brotherhood doesn't factor into the story on a episode-by-episode basis, so I don't think they were hurt by it. I did miss them, and when they came back, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, even though I was a book reader, and and they're much handled much differently in the book, particularly season two versus book two, um, and they're important. They're part, they're part, when you go to uh, Harrenholm, season two, the the, the drive to find the Brotherhood is is fueling a lot of the violence there. So I can't say they're up to hurt, but I I, I think, I I didn't want, I don't want to get too super creative with the, the answer, Bubba. I think the Hound has helped the most, Beyond just the mystery, beyond just the mystery of is the hound alive or not, uh, you had a, you had a sense he was if you were a book reader, grave digger and whatnot. Um, but when he shows back up, and I love the brother Ray episode, I really do. Uh, Ian McShane, I know he's, he seems to have a, a weird relationship with with Game of Thrones. Some of the comments he's made, but he's also that's kind of who he is. Uh, I love that episode. I think the hound has helped the most because. He is a, 
we, we meet him as a villain. Uh, we think he's a villain. We start to f- develop an affinity for him. We start to understand him. The, the journey with Arya becomes something we just absolutely love. He helps Sansa, but he's still the hound, right? And then he's fighting Brienne, who we're rooting for Brienne in that moment. Or who, who are we rooting for, Brienne or hound? And then he dies, or at least we feel he dies. And then we have time to, we have time to miss the hound. Good old Sandor Clegane. I miss that grump. So when he shows back up, you are really, especially if you aren't clued into it or you're not super expecting it, when he shows back up, I think it means a lot. And it immediately sets you up to be ready to embrace the character perhaps more than you were before. Maybe that's just me, but I think that's what it does. I I think the character that was hurt the most being absent, I will say Bran, and here's why. Often you hear Bran's stuff is boring. His storyline is boring. And I will say, even in the books, Brand chapters sometimes are the one when I would flip to it and that was next, you'd go, all right, it's not going to be as fun as a Tyrion one or as interesting and intriguing as a Cersei one or anything. It's it's Bran and I got to get through it. I, I had those moments too, I'd have to be honest. And I get it in terms of the show. It's nothing against Isaac Hempstead White and not, definitely nothing against uh, Christian Arnas Hodor, Hodor, who's just amazing. I think Osha is uh, is great as well. He's, I, I get it. It's a str- He's marching north. He's a dour kid. He's not even a kid. Who knows what he is? He's learning uh, some mystical, magical things. He's having dreams. He's warging, and, it, and it's a different tale. You got knights and politics and swords and sandals. You got dragons, which is a more, uh, just quite frankly, sexier kind of magic. Uh, Daenerys, her storyline, you're rooting for. You're, you're behind Jon Snow. Bran, everything about him, you just kind of like, all right, it's it's somber, it's quiet, and it's straightforward. And then all of a sudden he starts, he's meeting a guy in a tree and uh, the children of the forest, and that's kind of where you leave him. And then he comes back. I understand why they didn't do it. Um, you got the Dorn stuff comes in, interesting stuff. I'm not going to go into it too much right now, but... Interesting, honest takes on the Dorn stuff in the book, Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon. Um, you know, stuff that makes sense. And I, I'm a fan of, definitely a fan of Dorn stuff in the books. I'm a, I like, I like that the Dorn stuff there in the show, I do think it's wrong. I just love the characters. I love what's there. Um, different conversation, I guess. But you had to have time for that, so they cut Bran out. And I think when he comes back, I think Bran is, he's tremendously important. He's, he's, he's the boy that would be, king we think it's Jon Snow it's him and the stuff he's learning the stuff we learn through him uh Ned uh, the Tower of Joy Lyanna Stark Hodor's uh beginnings the, the pain there the Night King tying the Night King touching him and seeing him it is important stuff to the story that leads to big fights big confrontations and to Bran being the king yet it was like he came back and people were like ah we have to go back with the kid. And I think it's unfortunate. Well, even though I understand it, I think it's unfortunate because Bran is key to the story and what he learns is really key to the story. That's my take on it. Love to hear all of your answers out there. Bubba, that's a great question. I love that question. Uh, and I, I think we can, anal- we can almost go down and, and, and analyze um uh, each character that uh, or group of characters that, that come back after a while. But uh, those that's my answer on those ones there. So pretty simple. So that's uh, that's about it this week. Wrap it up next week. We got episode nine, Baylor. Oh, boy. 
Oh boy, that is the big one, right? Um, and the thing I'll say about this episode, I, I was going to say a little bit more about it up top here, the pointy end. I talked a lot about episode seven, you win or you die, of that being kind of this quintessential Game of Thrones episode. Big, big scenes, big one-on-one dialogue scenes where you learn a lot and it's tension and it's war of words. It's Cersei and Ned. You meet Tywin, Tywin and Jaime. All those kind of things are going on. Tyrion's on the on the run. Uh, he's trying to, you know, uh, figure his his path forward. Uh, and actually, Tyrion's not even in episode seven. That's that's right. Um, so, and then and it ends with with Baelish and, and the knife at Ned's throat. It, it it's this quintessential kind of Game of Thrones episode. I still think it's one of the best ones. I still think I still think it's one of the great formats. But I I, I got to almost remind myself. Episode eight, the pointy end, is a damn great Game of Thrones episode, and it probably gets overlooked because it's sandwiched between episode seven. Uh, this great quintessential episode, and then episode nine, Baylor, and the shocking death that's to come. And so maybe we all kind of block this episode out. I don't know. But when you sit and watch it, it is uh, a damn fine episode. And kudos to George R. R. Martin. Again, he knows how to write TV. He absolutely does. Uh, and um, I know he, he, by season five, he kind of pulls out of the writing process to concentrate more on the books. Uh, maybe some other things, um, who knows? But I would have loved to have seen George continue to write one uh, a year. Um, it would have been interesting. He he knew how to tell his story, and he knew how to tell it for TV. Even though he had they had to make tough uh, tough changes, um, this episode included. He had presented it with some bigger things, uh, and they had to cut it down, which he under, he understood. Uh, he understood the process, and he did it well. So hats off to you, George R. R. Martin, for not only creating this wonderful world that we all love, but writing. This episode, episode eight, the pointy end. Like I said, next week, Baylor. Oh boy, that is going to be a tough one. We'll see you next time on Casterly Talk. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Cadnapsock. Go to my website, cadnapsock.com, for more information on all the things I do, including my book, Why We Love Star Wars. If you want to call in and be part of the great people that uh, leave messages and important questions that rattle me sometimes, uh, reach out via the Anchor app. There's a link to leave a message. you got 59 seconds to get your point out. Go ahead and do it. Uh, we will see you next week, though, my friends. Bye. <laughs>